welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a rising star in Europe, percussionist Nicholas Stucker. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Nicholas Stocker with us from Switzerland, correct? Yes, Good. from Zurich. Zurich. Mm-hmm. Nice. No, I haven't been there. <laughs> but you have been to Switzerland? Yes, or? only a stopover. Okay. I went to watch Where a football match. Where have you been? Oh. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good win for my team, but they won. It was ugly. Okay. Yeah, early rounds of the Champions League, and they should have, no offense, beat the team badly, but didn't happen. What, what is your team? Manchester. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and there's only one and team they, in Manchester, so you should guess which one it is. Yeah, and they, they, are, uh, they are playing Basel then. Good, yeah. Okay, so can you tell the people a bit about yourself, your education, how long you've been in Switzerland, were you born there? Yeah, I'm I'm born in Switzerland. Um, I studied the drums, like focusing on jazz, kind of as the main uh, focus in Zurich and as well as Lucerne. And I've been to New York City to also take uh, private lessons with some of my drum heroes. Who are your That's drum heroes? That's ten, now ten, 10 years ago. No, no, who are your drum uh, heroes though? Uh, it was uh, took lessons with uh, Kendrick Scott and Mark Juliana and Gerald Cleaver and Jim Black and Dan Weiss and Ian Froman. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you got that all that done in one trip. Exp- yeah, I was there for three months. Okay. But it was a very, uh, I mean, very intense and nice time for me, and there was also like watching one or two shows every day. So it was a very music-focused trip. Okay, so what is something that shocked you the most about New York? Mm, I, I don't know if I can say shocked, but like it's like from, I mean, I'm from the biggest city in Switzerland with Zurich, but it's like... Um, 400, 500,000 inhabitants. And I don't know, it's just special in New York when you come off the subway and just this, like, the energy that's so high vibrating and it's just crazy, like, compared to here, how much stuff there's going on at all times. Okay. And I'm just curious, how was the lesson with Kendrick Scott? What, what was something, how was he like when he's teaching? I mean that that was very funny because I I went to his home and he was living in a, like in sixth floor in a block in Harlem, and I was just, I mean that that was actually a very surprising thing that that seemed to be normal to have your drum set in your bedroom, and it was apparently completely fine for his neighbors to, like um, that he was playing drums there because he said like that noise from his drums like the worst <laughs> problem like the least problem in in his house and i think uh what 
Uh, I he gave me some like kind of simple exercises, but that took for for me. I mean, since until now, um, like with holding how do you hold the stick or for what what to listen for and like one thing that i especially remember he had this thing that he called like um uh, 2 a.m in the morning practice which you like you would like hit the snare drum in a way that somebody could be sleeping next to you and nobody would hear you basically <laughs> okay it's like kind of a very okay. soft stroke like I misunderstood. I thought you meant he was playing drums at two o'clock in the morning and he was... Yeah. Okay. No, the idea was that you were playing, but nobody could hear you because you were so quiet. Okay. That is interesting. I got to ask him about that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how long have you been a jazz drummer for? Um... I start. I mean, I grew up in a musical family, but um, both my singer, um, both of my parents are classically trained singers, and so I started to play piano before I started playing drums. I think I started play piano when I was five, and then drums when I was eleven, and then I think uh, um, jazz I found more through like you know, contemporary classical music, and then like the aspects. Like some people that like use this type of music and like improvised with it. I think that was kind of my gateway to jazz. And then I think it was like one drum teacher that I had thought that it would be good for me to like play some swing for like a couple months. And he sent me to another teacher, but I ended up staying with the other teacher for four years until I was studying. And that was actually the first time I I think I was like 16 or something when I heard like the this like the classic jazz recordings like Miles and stuff like that. So I heard it quite late in a way. It was more like Mozart and stuff when I was a child. Understood. So how did your parents take you becoming a jazz artist? Yeah, I think they in the beginning they were a bit worried because they thought that it was like because it compared to classical music the lobby is less strong and they thought it was like much harder to like make a living of it but then um, I I don't know I for me it was the aspect in in classical music that would have interested me would have been contemporary classical music which is basically the same thing uh, financially and uh, for me it was always drum set was my favorite instrument even though I played like mallets and stuff so it, I kind of based my decision on yeah that I just want to do what I like the most so okay that's how I ended up going in that direction that is interesting so there's another thing about the New York scene that I'm just curious uh, comparing the two mm -hmm. the Switzerland jazz scene versus the New York jazz scene what is the Oof. big difference oh yeah um, I think like the, some of the people that I've met in New York, I think, um, are, it seemed to me that uh, a lot of people are like really strong, like session players, like side read very well. And there's not so much like working bands maybe. 
And I think here that's it's a lot more based on like people that work together for a long time. Um, yeah, they kind of develop a group sound together and it's maybe less about the individual musicians, if that makes sense. Yes, okay. So you have more long-standing bands that perform together. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's also a good thing? like my my band like with Collie Trio, we were I mean, we exist in six years and um we started like rehearsing a day every week and we still kind of keep try to keep that going as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's better that jazz artists perform constantly together versus over here where it's session after session? I I don't think one is better or worse. I think it also requires a kind of a different skill set from the musicians in a way. Because I think here there I feel like there are some like really strong like sight readers but it's like more a rare thing here. Like I think people that would play in big bands and stuff, they are used to like reading constantly, but there's, yeah, there's definitely a part of the scene where it's more like nobody even brings a sheet because it just like present the idea and you play it for the others. Or that's at least, I mean, there's also this, this part of the side reading scene in Switzerland, but I'm not so much part of that at least. Okay. Well, since you mentioned it, let's just, jump right into it. So your trio, the Kala trio. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your bandmates, how you met each other, and then we'll mm-hmm. go into your second release. Yeah. Okay. So I was, um, me and the piano player, Rafael Lohr, we were kind of introduced together uh, from a professor that we both had, and he thought that it would be a good idea for us to try to play together. Because we're both um, like one shared interest that we have is like that we both uh, prepare our instruments. He prepares his piano. I prepare my drums a lot, and so we're like very much like searching for new sounds, and that was a good idea of him. <laughs> and uh, I think, and then we met. Uh, we were actually kind of trying to play with different people and but our we knew that our goal was to kind of form a band that would kind of have a long-term goal in a way and would have this kind of commitment of weekly rehearsals and stuff and so we played with a bunch of different people and I think with uh, the guitar player uh, Urs Müller is his name he was just at a point where he also was like ready for that and kind of fed up of the smaller short scale projects a bit. And he was playing a lot of, uh, actually it was quite uh, in demand, like a session player for like pop artists in Switzerland. But he was a bit tired of that scene in a way. And he also seemed, because he felt he was also not like kind of getting further as a musician in a way. I mean, I understand that part, but also, I mean, that's something I would have to ask him personally. I just feel a lot of people see it as that's the high point. You're playing with the pop stars and the stars and you're touring, but he didn't like it. I mean, he did it for quite a long time. Like 
eight to ten years. And I think in I don't want to piss anybody off saying oh, that. Go ahead. This is what we like the, to do here. The, 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 the pop, the, like in Switzerland, there's I feel there's like two different kinds of pop scenes. There's the alternative pop scene where it's like there's bands and it's played on like smaller radios and there's definitely also a club scene for that. And then there's like the mainstream pop artists and uh, this may sound a bit offensive, but like for me, it sounds a bit like they are recreating stuff that was hip in the States like two or like five years ago, maybe. And and it's like, and that music also never gets out of Switzerland. Oh. It's really, <laughs> like, it's really strange because they like the biggest Swiss pop artists, they are only big in Switzerland and then... The other thing, which is also weird, because we have uh, four languages in Switzerland, mm-hmm. like uh, German, French, in, uh, Italian, and Romansh. Like the Swiss German bands, they also never make it to even to the French part, or like very rarely, like the big ones. <laughs> you know, so it's it's very funny. This, but they are the ones that are played on the main mainstream radios. But you're so I think that- that's. The pop stars there don't perform in all four languages. They only perform in one. No, they don't. Like the the people that uh, like the come from the Swiss German part, they don't necessarily perform in the French speaking part, which is completely absurd because it's so tiny. You know what I mean? There's like this thing called uh, there's the term here is Rösti Graben. Rösti is like this potato hash Swiss thing where it's like the French and the Swiss German part is kind of divided and the ones in the French part they never make it to the other side and vice versa. Okay. Well, I know who the most popular Swiss Swedish artist is right now. Swiss, with, yeah? yeah? Which one? It's Tina Turner still. Because uh, she, she became yeah, a citizen. She, yeah, that's true. She lives in... Uh, she lives in Zurich, I think. Zurich or Geneva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she denounced her citizenship, so I guess he's the biggest star over there, unfortunately. Probably. <laughs> but that part I didn't know. Okay, so I didn't know that they're not famous nationwide like that. Okay. I mean, yeah, because like there's like the the mainstream uh pop thing, they have this this award thing, like a Swiss music awards. Um, but it's own in a way it should be called Swiss German Music Awards because there is never any acts from the French part make like winning anything because it's just based on on sales and the Swiss German part is just way bigger so it's like no no uh, wonder that they have more sales. <laughs> Understood. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's very that that world is quite weird and I think that's why. The thing that Urs, the our guitar player, got a bit fed up, maybe like after yeah. being in there for like ten years and like feeling that the music just not doesn't progress in a way, or he can't that. he yeah. can't like um, develop in there or something like that. Like I said, really, really good explanation. But then the project that you're doing, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I could yeah. be as a drummer, whatever. You guys are playing in 198s, then you're playing in like 716s, and then you're playing in I think a 54 over a 44. So I'm like Yeah, it's like a it's like a 
like a five four um, with, and it has like a four over five and a three over five within that. So it's a kind of a, if you think in the five four, it's like a three bar phrase, then it comes all back together. Yeah. So, so it's like three times five four or five times three four. And that's all against the quarter note. That's why it's against, yeah. I mean, I dig it, but does the average person understand it or dig it when they're, when you're playing it live? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think our music in a way doesn't sound that complicated. <laughs> and it's it's not our, like, uh, it was never our goal to make something like extra tricky or uh, sophisticated rhythmically, but um, I think what interests us a lot is like um, having this these uh, cycles that you can like kind of repeat over and over, and that slowly ev evolve. And I think um, like um, if something like that has a, maybe a bit more special structure, I I think for for me personally, I tend to like to listen to it longer until it needs to change anything because there's so many small aspects that you can listen to in the same thing when it's getting uh, repeated. And I think the other thing, which is like in all pieces, we still have a strong like quarter note um, that, you, that you feel. And I think, um, yeah, and we also stay in those, like usually the song doesn't, change that structure the rhythmic structure um Too all often. the time yeah. but we, we we stay in there and try to kind of shine a light on all the small cracks that are in in there and try to kind of yeah it's kind of uh no, like, like small it. small organism in a way that's your chamber music from the background coming into play here which yeah i like <laughs> So, Thanks. when you perform, how does that even ask that then? <laughs> <laughs> so, when you're performing and it's a minor, oh, I shouldn't say minor, a small pop scene that isn't exponential, does it affect your jazz music? Yes, I think. I mean, I think in the last five to ten years, the like the alternative pop scene in Switzerland changed a lot because there are now there's a lot of p musicians. Uh, on the scene that actually studied jazz that are playing in this this pop scene. And also, I think there's a lot of musicians that go kind of both. It's like, um, in a way, it's not so much like a strict line between, oh, here's jazz and here is like pop. So I think, and I think that's very nice that uh, I think that we have this exchange. And that, I mean, that's not in the mainstream pop scene, but in the more alternative. Understood. And like I said, I don't know much about the mainstream pop scene there like that. And you uh, yeah, had a good reason explaining why. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. So, what's it called? This is your second album. Mm -hmm. It came out in March. Unfortunately, yeah. I think the whole situation of the world affected the delay or the release pattern. Do you have any, have you had any success with it so far? Yes. I mean, it was, it was a, a strange feeling. I remember that night 
very well when we would have played our uh, release show because in Switzerland it kind of looked when we booked it uh, we kind of looked like it would maybe open up in March um, yeah to just like sit at home and I listened to the record with some friends and that was like the most you can do and then like of course do a lot of social media stuff or try to do um, so yeah in a way it was strange because you don't uh, the, the feedback seems to be more abstract for me at least when it comes only through the internet or like reviews and stuff like that and you don't feel like the energy at the concert yeah. um, that I agree but, with yeah. but unfortunately I think this might be a new normal like they say for a long time the internet promoting everything yeah no, I mean, for us, it was also an opportunity to, like, I think maybe with the first album, we, it's fair to say that maybe like our online presence didn't exist like almost at all. I mean, we had our Facebook and small Instagram was very, very quiet. And I think now we were trying out uh, some things and try to be more active in a way. And I think... For that, it has been a good time because there was also, yeah, the you weren't like busy playing gigs all the time. You could like check out how things work a bit, and yeah, okay. but it's a, it's a strange world in a way. Definitely, I give you that. So, where do you think jazz will be in Switzerland in ten years? Bigger, smaller? Mm, I mean, I I feel like the. <clears throat> Jazz scene and like maybe like the whole like more experimental scene in Switzerland is actually very interesting, I think. And um, there's a, some bands that already kind of made it out a bit. And I think that will hopefully uh, spiral it to be more Swiss artists getting known over the years afterwards. Because I think it has a, a lot to offer from from the scene itself and definitely also has some challenges with touring and stuff because uh, yeah Switzerland itself is really small so we have to kind of get out and getting out is also the challenge because the Swiss franc is so strong so like every odd gig that we play abroad is like we we I mean we need there's a great funding system in Switzerland, but without it, you couldn't really play those shows because you you it would still just not make enough money, <laughs> um, or not make any money at all because like the money that you earn abroad is worth less basically here. So it's like a weird that's situation. An interesting I don't know if that problem. makes sense. No, no, no. I get it. That's why I said yeah. So you actually lose money going on tour. Yeah, but I mean, there's not. I mean, there's still nothing to complain because we have. I mean, yeah, the support is great, but it's still. I mean, I feel like in a way it's something that we have to battle that we don't get also maybe taken seriously as much because every all the bookers like in Germany and around Switzerland they know that Swiss bands they have support so they maybe try to even pay less you know <laughs> and that's like it's hard to get the this yeah uh, yeah to kind of make it in a way 
Okay, that's that's a unique problem, I must say, because normally it's the opposite that I know of. People yeah. want to go abroad and perform because they believe they're going to make more money. They're going to have a bigger mm-hmm. fan base and all that stuff. And here you're telling me I lose money torn. So, yeah, we, without the support, definitely. yeah, without the support, but the, yeah, yeah. I think otherwise, I, I have to say that I mean, as living as a musician in Switzerland, I think for the most part, I think it's very comfortable, which is also a, a problem. Maybe why not more artists are like already like kind of more known because. If you have a, for example, if you have a teaching job for, let's say, two days, you're completely fine. Like you don't have to work there. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So it, may, it also can it can make you lazy a bit. That's what I was about to say. And I have a problem with the academia teaching world in the jazz world. I should say, mm-hmm. because a lot of people who couldn't make it jump over there to try to get a professor gig or they mm. do everything they can to get a professor gig. And then, like you said, they get lazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I also hope I don't piss anybody off saying that. <laughs> uh, let me put you like this. <laughs> Maybe. It's very hard to make people mm. mad on this podcast because there are people yeah. who came on and said some stuff before and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So that's that's good, man. So, if you could turn back the time, would you still be a jazz artist, or would you do something else? Mm. No, I think for me, it's it was never really a, a, a real option to do anything else, um, or I never considered another thing. Of course, with um, uh, for me, in my I could I could also study something else or or whatever. But it never never came to my mind to think about oh maybe I should do something else. And I uh, yeah, I'm very happy for that. I kind of went for the thing that I liked the most. Um, yeah. Okay. So I don't. There's no regrets. On, and just curious what is mm-hmm. the best compliment you ever received Oof. Uh, one came to my mind I, I recorded two albums that were produced by Manfred Eicher on ECM uh, one was with Nick Berch and one with Arni Akbabian and he said that I'm an air maker, which is like a nice compliment as a drummer. An air maker, he said? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> it's... Because uh, you make all the air, right? No, because I, he, he, he was like referring to the sound that it sounded like air. <laughs> and I thought that oh. was a very beautiful compliment, as, especially as a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> And also coming from him, I mean, it's like it's it was kind of scary the first time, like going into a session when knowing that he was going to be there. Well, I don't know what to say on that part, but 
interesting? Yeah, because if you think like one moment, like with who, like in the con- he has been in the control booth, like like with Keith Jarrett and uh, I don't know, Ev- Pat Metheny, everybody, like all these, like Mark Skillmore, like insane <laughs> musicians. That I, I mean, I was like, I was kind of like had this imposter syndrome thing there a bit. I was like, yeah, maybe like they will call me and say, oh no, it was like a mistake. That. <laughs> oh, come on, you, you know have more I mean? confidence than that, but I do understand, okay? <laughs> I mean, I was also very much looking forward to it and it was like one of, it was actually that, like to record with ECM and also especially with Manfred producing it. When I was studying jazz, it was kind of, the most insane thing that I could imagine like happening maybe or like one of the biggest goal. Okay. Um, so yeah, it felt definitely felt crazy. That's good, man. <laughs> okay. So before we go, we know we like to give a shout out and show respects to the artists who came before us. I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists choose one and tell me why. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on trumpet, Lee Morgan or Harry James? Mm. That's like a jazz, jazz question. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but come on, it's a jazz show. <laughs> yeah, you want me to make it more rock and everything? I could do that. You, you could also make it more rock if you want. I think I would, uh, I mean, I'm more familiar with Lee Morgan, so I would pick him. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) On saxophone, (laughs) Coleman Hawkins or Charlie Parker? I think I think Charlie Parker because um, was also one of the first like real jazz artists that I like listened to and it was like something that I think helped me draw into this music. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. So on bass. David Hood or Thundercat? I think Thundercat for like just the sheer craziness of the like live shows and that he's like singing on top of that and um, I don't know, like just uh, kind of doing hip hop records, but then live it's just like this insane fusion show in a way. You've been to a show? Just like the the attitude of it is... You've seen him live before, right? Yeah. Okay, likewise. (laughs) It is uh, something interesting in that aspect. I agree. Yeah, it was uh, at the at the club uh, here in Zurich when they played the sound technician told me it was like 110 decibel on stage without the the front of house being on. So it means like wow. without, the, so he had to mix the voice over that. And in Switzerland, the regulation is 100 decibel <laughs> in front of the, measured in front of the PA. Oh. And so he had some, yeah, he had to choose if he would 
kind of risk getting a fine for that. Or I mean, it was just insanely loud. Never have that loud kicks here because of this regulation. Now, why do you have that regulation? I'm just curious. Side question. <laughs> it's stupid. It's stupid. I don't know. Like in Germany, they measure it outside of the building, which made, makes much more sense because, you can hear the, like, they yeah, measure it outside. Yeah, and here it's like they have this. Like even at like open air shows, it's like that. And so the like the like the people that are mixing those shows, they have to kind of calculate. So they maybe start a show at ninety four decibel, and so they have some headroom to go at the end of the show to like 103 maybe so that the end average would be 100. I don't know. It's like our government maybe just wants to protect us maybe more than necessary. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going into that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so on guitar, we'll say Slash or Carlos Santana. Mm, I was never into Santana, so I would say Slash. Okay, Eric Clapton or Slash? Then I would pick Eric Clapton. Would feel like okay. for but to like rock guitarists, I think like some of my favorites are like uh, Johnny Greenwood, maybe from Radiohead, or like more in that direction. Okay, nothing like that. So on keys, I make it a really. We'll go with Billy Joe, or Stevie Wonder. Uh, I'd I'd say Stevie Wonder because it, I've seen him live once, and it was like at the, this huge festival in uh, in the Netherlands, and actually it was he was playing right after uh, the Netherlands lost against Spain in the soccer Europe Cup. Yeah. And his show was right afterwards. So all the people were so like sad. That's and, depressing in like, its own way. <laughs> yeah. And he he it took like maybe like maybe one song or one and a half song until it seemed like everybody just for, forgot <laughs> forgot about their loss and it was like party again. Oh. It was really crazy, crazy to watch because it completely like kind of catch the vibe and flipped it like immediately. It was really impressive. That's a talent. Okay. Yeah. So on drums, since you like rock, we're going to go with Ginger Baker or Keith Moon. Mm. You could also ask me Jazz drummers. That okay, fine. jazz drummers. No, no, that's even better. But I, uh, but I would, I would say, um, for like rock, uh, I think Ginger Baker for just like the being the crazy person <laughs> that he is. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's in a way, it's it's almost a bit funny, but I think it was like it's just like I don't know. It's I think it's weird to see somebody who has just thinks they're the best and like <laughs> like the way he thinks that is just I don't yeah. know it's a bit mad or very mad okay uh, in a jazz drummer we're going to mm-hmm. ask you Billy Coban mm-hmm. or Elvin Jones Elvin definitely I mean I was mm, yeah that I mean, Elvin was also like one of the 
first drummers when I got to listen to jazz that I felt like like him and Tony Williams was like kind of I felt like my gateway into understanding and getting into the whole world okay. because I could in a way understand this better than some of the earlier cats in the beginning when I was starting to listen because it seemed more close to the like improvised music that I knew already and and I mean yeah it's just I don't know it's uh, like his feel is just insane <laughs> okay that works <laughs> yeah Okay, can you tell them? Nothing against Billy Coburn, though. I mean, it's also Stratus and it's also mind blowing. <laughs> uh, oh, can you tell the people your social media, your websites, where to find your album? Yeah. So uh, the Instagram is Carly uh, underline trio. And you can find the album on Spotify and. Bandcamp and our name of our label is Ronin Rhythm Records. All right, man. Our website is also callitrio.com. Well, thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been I'm a pleasure. looking forward towards the third album and hopefully, well, you said you lose money when you perform abroad, but next time I'm in your country, hopefully I get to hear you guys. Yeah, thank you okay. very much. Everyone, yes. <laughs> Everyone, this is Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good night. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>